This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah, <laughs> did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. Today's guest is Darshana Avila. Darshana is one of the featured experts in our show, Sex, Love and Goop, which is out now on Netflix. Darshana describes herself as an erotic wholeness coach. She believes that many of us have been conditioned to compartmentalize or fragment pieces of ourselves, and so often it's the sexual piece that is most siloed. Through her work, Darshana helps us to look at and embrace the full spectrum of ourselves. Darshana is trained in sexological bodywork. And over the years, she's developed a holistic approach that combines somatic sex and intimacy coaching with therapeutic bodywork. It's this approach that she employs on the show with a couple named Camille and Chandra, who you'll hear us talk a little bit about. Part of what makes Darshana's work so valuable is the space she creates for people to cultivate intimacy first with themselves. This, Darshana says, is about knowing your own body, your heart, your trauma history, your attachment style, and what lights you up in a relationship. Today, we talk about how you can begin exploring it all. If you want to go deeper after the episode, head to goop.com backslash podcast sex, where our team has gathered more tools for cultivating intimacy. But first, let's get to my chat with Darshana. So of course, we're talking about Sex, Love, and Goop, our Netflix show that you- yeah are such a amazing <laughs> expert on. And I, I was just like dying to have a follow-up talk with you because I mean, first of all, I'm so, I have so many questions for you and I'm so fascinated about your, your work. You, you call yourself an erotic wholeness coach. Correct. And I would just love to understand a little bit about you, the journey that led you here. 
Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> where do we begin? There's the personal component of that, which is to make a long story very short. I was married in a totally monogamous and fidelitous and sweet marriage that wasn't my right fit. And at the time of that ending, which was, gosh, 12 years ago or so now, I started exploring my sexuality, dating other people, having different experiences in a way that I had not been. And I was also really deeply invested in my spiritual journey at that point. And initially I did not see where those two things fit together. It was sex happens over here. And I was in a, a pretty traditional yoga lineage at the time that was not talking about sex and was not talking about anything really to do with feminine energy. And I'm like, huh, this does not feel right. Something's missing. Mm. So it, that's what the personal inquiry was for me of how do I integrate these two deeply meaningful facets of my life where I get to feel so alive, but they don't seem to fit together. And that was the early origins of my exploration. And, and just, just tell me a little bit about how you begun the thought process around that integration. And was it, you know, giving yourself permission to think about things in a different way, like creating a new space in yeah. which you could think your way through that? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Well, the thinking piece, I mean, there's definitely got to be some of that, but I think Haha, <laughs> I think <laughs> One of the, the missing piece there was there. These are these two aspects of my life where my body got really lit up. I'm on the yoga mat. I'm in deep meditation. I'm chanting mantra. I'm doing whatever I'm doing in that arena. And, and I feel so alive and, and, and just this ecstatic state. And then I'm having all sorts of different sex than what I've been having in my marriage, simply because I'm having sex with different people. And I'm feeling my body responsive and waking up and like, oh my God, like this is good. And I want more of it. And something about having two such significant parts of my existence be segmented from each other intrinsically felt off to me. Yeah. And this, this gets at your question of why do I call myself an erotic wholeness coach? Because there is a way in which I feel our dominant culture really reinforces this idea of compartmentalization or fragmentation in us. Yeah. We don't, we don't embrace the wholeness, the fullness, the trueness of, of our being or that of other people. And we're asked to constantly, no, put this aside. You know, I, I, you don't get to be this in this space and you only get to be it this way. And, and so the wholeness piece is around what is it like to embrace the full spectrum of ourselves, shadow and light, mm -hmm. and also to see ourselves as an integral part of a whole uh, instead of humans in that supreme position in relation to everything and everyone around them, like how do we see ourselves woven into the web of life and have an experience of belonging, which is what a lot of us look to our sex for, you know, right. like when we, when we're having like really good sex and you feel super connected to someone and seen by them, that desire to belong gets satiated. And that's not the only way to do that. So I started out, this is now me jumping around because I started out professionally as a somatic sex and intimacy coach is, is what I referred to myself as. It's what a lot of the trainings that I've done are, are kind of under the umbrella of, and that stopped feeling accurate because it also felt like a compartmentalization. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily looking at the whole and eroticism to me is that whole because it's our sex and it's our sensuality and it's our emotions and it's how we show up in relationship and it's activism and it's passion all woven together. So, so that's how you define that. eroticism. That's how I just define right. it. Yes. <laughs> that's super interesting. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, it's, there's an aspect of this that's so fascinating and why I really wanted to do the show in the first place was because we talk about wellness all the time, but as you say, the sexual piece is always siloed. It's always compartmentalized, but it is such an incredibly important part of our overall, right? It's like, if you're sort of exploring being the best, healthiest version of yourself over here, but you have a lot of unresolved stuff and shame and you're shut down or you're withholding or you're bracing in your sexual life, it's probably really hard to achieve, right? It's yes. Yeah. I mean, it's look, it's how we all got here. Right? So, so we can start there. Right. Many, not, not going to say all of us, but the large majority of us are having sex as your fabulous little soundbite in the show. It's like, yeah, we're going to talk about sex. We're having sex. Right. So can we <gasps> normalize that? But it's, it's really astonishing and heartbreaking, not surprising though, because these are the cultural waters that we swim in. Even how many therapeutic modalities that, that are genuinely in service to helping people heal, to helping people thrive in their lives, will not touch sex. Don't want to talk about it. I just had a client in come to me a couple of weeks ago in tears because she'd gone to her OBGYN for a regular appointment and was talking about the fact of feeling nervous about being penetrated by her doctor for an exam. And like the doctor doesn't want to hear, she's like, oh, the, the pain's in your head. It's not real. And, and, and that's a very common experience. Yeah. And that's, you know, one iteration of it, but that other modalities, healing modalities, wellness modalities do not have the, ori- the, the proper orientation, let's say, to, to really be able to meet people in conversations about their genitals, about their sexuality. And so no wonder we feel fragmented because yeah. we're constantly being asked to negate this essential aspect of ourselves. Right. So. Not only negate, but like, like it should be some occult thing, yeah. to, right? Like that's not not healthy and not not okay to talk about right. it in polite society. And it, and mm-hmm. as you say, it's so essential. So, do people come to you? Do couples come to you a lot, or do people come individually more to you? Both, both. I I have always seen both couples and individuals in my practice. Yeah, it's, it's a different journey. And the thing about it is it is and it isn't a different journey because I tell the couples that I work with straight out of the gate, I'm like, don't be surprised if at some point in time I say to one or both of you, we need to have a one-on-one session. <laughs> um, and because at the foundation of everything is intimacy with self. Mm-hmm. And if we're not actually cultivating and regularly tending to an intimacy with our own selves. And yes, that absolutely can include masturbation, but that's not the only thing I mean when I say intimacy with self, it's like, know, know yourself, really know your body, your needs, your heart, your attachment style, your trauma history, you know, like what, what lights you up in a relationship where your struggles are. And the reality is most of us don't know those things. So should we make a list? Like how do we, how do we, I like it. A lady who likes her lists. I mean, there probably are a few succinct things that could be on the list, but you know, I, I can say like, as someone who I am not in a committed ongoing relationship, I date, I have different lovers in my life. And I have this conversation with people from the start of like, okay, so talk to me about your trauma. Like, like tell, do, what do you know about your attachment style? Because that's going to tell us so much about how we as two humans come into relationship with one another 
and if we are really in a position to meet one another's needs. Like Jaya's work, for instance, on the erotic blueprints, that's phenomenal. And I love it. And I love playing with that material. And you're presupposing then that people have already gotten into a connection where they're vested enough to want to keep having sex with each other. Right. And and so I'm actually meeting people usually sometimes earlier on in their journeys, or sometimes they've been doing this for decades and wondering why things aren't changing, where there's just an intrinsic incompatibility. Like, I don't even want to use the word incompatibility. Let's use the word dissonance. Right. Uh, you know, like the way that I communicate does not match the way you communicate. And so effectively I'm speaking Chinese and you're speaking Spanish and no wonder we don't understand each other. Right. Right. So, right. And it's sort of a, yeah. right. So you can help people even move through that initial stuff to start to get to the point where they can translate. So, so what happens, like, say somebody comes and sees you, what are the questions that you ask people when they come to you for the first time? Well, I always want to know what they really are enjoying in their intimate life. So we start with like, what's going really well and what's not going really well, because generally speaking, particularly on the ladder, if you're coming from a place of trouble, like people want to talk ad nauseum about, let me tell you all the things that's shitty. Like, let, let me tell you all the ways my partner's not meeting me or that I'm not having the sex I want to have. And it's valuable information. And we also do a lot of talking, even if not always in one you know, like one monologue, tell me about your upbringing. You know, what are the, the, the ideologies and the formative experiences that you had around becoming sexualized? And so I find with a lot of my clients, even those who don't necessarily identify as having grown up in a strictly religious upbringing or anything of that nature, many of us did get significant messages and have imprints laid down early on that we are carrying with us into our adult sexual relationships. And sometimes it's a really obvious correlation between the two for people. And sometimes it takes some excavating. And it's not just that, oh, my dad said this about sex. And so I'm screwed up around it in this way. It might be that I was made to be more of an adult in my family system and I had to take on more responsibility. And so now here I am feeling like I need to constantly caretake my partner, but then because I'm taking so much care of them, I'm not turned on by them. You know, So, so we, we, we do a little bit of excavating and looking at the younger parts of self that are still locked into beliefs and patterns that don't actually work for our present moment adult reality in many ways, not just sexually speaking. And when those parts of ourselves get included and resourced and we figure out more generative ways to to support them, then they stop running amok all the time. And we can be more available to the intimacy and the erotic exchanges that we'd like to be having in our lives. And then do you get people on the table right away? Mm -mm. No, I, I never get people on the table right away and not all of my clients receive body work from me. So it's, you know, some of my clients do some, it's, it's purely coaching and my coaching style, which there is, you know, I I know it's hard to distinguish in, in little blips on the screen, but much of what you saw me doing with Chandra and Camille could happen in a coaching session that does not involve body work. And my, because my coaching sessions, some of them are happening the way you and I are speaking now over Zoom and others, I'm physically in the room with people and there's still touch and movement, but clothing stays on and it's not genitally focused. Body work sessions is when the clothing can come off and the genitals can be included. 
And to your question of, do I get people on the table right away? No, because we have to lay down a foundation first. And sometimes people are on the table session number two. Sometimes it takes several sessions to create a sense of safety and also for whomever I'm working with to understand some of the basics of a shared vocabulary that we create so that they can effectively communicate what they need and want. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. When you're getting someone on on the table and you're doing, I don't even know the proper term. What is it? Sexological body work. Thank you. <laughs> Sexological. I did know that actually. It's a mouth sex bod. We can type you know, like. How do you discern like who is a candidate for that? And then I really want to ask you about what happens, like what your, what your KPIs are when you're doing that work. (laughs) I love it. You're bringing me back to my corporate days, my KPIs. (laughs) So as far as who's a candidate, I I mean, it's, I would, it's funny because that word doesn't occur to me. I have conversations with the people I'm going to work with. I, 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 no one comes in for a session without us spending at least a half an hour or so on the phone together and them giving me a lot of insight into what they're needing and wanting. And then I can offer some guidance as to whether or not I think body work is going to be a more supportive modality than coaching. Or and like, coaching. what are some of those things? Like, so someone who you, who you determine is a candidate for body work, what will they be? How, how will their issues be presented? Yeah. Generally speaking, pain of some sort or what what they might label as a dysfunction of some sort. And I say they might label because there's very little that's dysfunctional about our bodies. It's more that we are responding to dysfunctional circumstances. So if, if someone comes to me and says, I'm struggling to orgasm or I'm feeling really shut down during sex, if it's someone like we saw with Chandra and Camille, where with Chandra, it's I, I can't receive penetration without pain or Camille feeling you know very anxious in her body and, and wanting to have more range and relaxation to be able to reach ecstatic states, that's a perfect candidate. Some people I work with, it's not the main focus of my practice, but some people it's birth-related traumas. So recovering from surgery or, you know, if, if there was tearing, if there was any kind of injury, rehabbing their bodies so that they can feel more aliveness. It's, you know, there are a variety of And is that of like fascial work? Like how do you... Some of it is, some of it's scar tissue remediation. And a lot of it is the, the very simple, but profound experience of like re-enlivening sensation. 
in, inviting inviting presence to move like down into this region that has become a no-go zone. You know, like we, you know, our, we're very intelligent, like super wise in our bodies. And so it's the same thing. Like when I say like dysfunctions, very seldom truly dysfunction. Usually we're having an appropriate reaction to something that feels inappropriate to us. And so it's, it's like creating that safety little by little and actually teaching the individual in question that it is okay to hang out in your pelvic bowl. It is okay to feel what's going on in your genitals right now. And through creating a container of safety and trust and moving slowly and establishing contact with their body, that's exactly what happens. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, the wires start to connect up again and oh, aliveness, ooh, sensation. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> um, so, so that's really the nature of it. I think like so many women, you know, we go through so many different things in our lives and that can be a very typical response, right? Shut down or mm-hmm. You know, I, for example, had two cesareans. I had an emergency cesarean and I always feel like I have, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a friend of mine who had a cesarean when she was living overseas in Asia and they cut the women vertically because horizontally they feel that you're, they're cutting through all of the energetic meridians. And sometimes I feel like, God, I wish I could reconnect these things, you know? So there's that level, there's the energetics, and then there is the physical level on which our scar tissue, it's not like we just have scar tissue right there in the neat line. Right. That spreads out as a whole network. So even if like when I mentioned birth trauma earlier, it's not necessarily always vaginal trauma. Right. It can be that you had an incision, you know, for a cesarean, I work with people who um, have gone through breast cancer or other things, and we're working with their mastectomy scars and their breasts, different parts of the body. And the network of scar tissue actually spreads out much wider and Mm. it can impact us in many different ways. So there's that. And then what you're speaking to there, the energetics of it, our subtle energy body is as vital and integral a part of our experience of well, any facet of life really as any other that, that a lot of people aren't giving consideration to like, we're more than just this physical matter. You know, we are sensitive energy bodies as well. And when there, there, there's a disruption that that's going to have an impact. And so we've got to do work to help remediate that and bring things back into connection and communication with each other. Totally. So how do you, how do you suggest people start to do this? If, if, you know, they're, they're home or they're with a partner who is willing, how do you start in these modalities, bringing your awareness back down? Like, what are your tips for the at home version of this? (laughs) Yeah, well, it, it is effectively a mindfulness practice, right? And what's so great is that mindfulness has become so egalitarian and it's a term that many people know. And, and so I, for instance, I lead mindful masturbation meditations, and, and really what it is, is about wow, getting, what is that? Yes. What is that? Well, you can come th- a Friday night if you want to find out. <laughs> I want to find out. This sounds right on my street. <laughs> exactly. And it, it, what it's about is really, I mean, it's so funny because like, I want to, I want to give you an answer that's super profound, but it's really ultimately very simple. It's learning how to pay attention to our bodies, which isn't easy. Simple and easy are two different words as, as we know, but, but it's not rocket science. And so what it comes down to, whether it's you with your own body or you connecting with a partner, slowing down, 
that that's like a non-negotiable. We are taught to be so frenetic when it comes to our sex and, and, and we, we see it very glamorized, you know, like they're, they're all the like, Oh my God, I can't get enough. I've got to tear your clothes off. And yeah, sure. That's fun when that's the energy, but we rush past so much of the nuance of what's actually happening in our experience. And so the, the place to begin is very slowly paying attention to your body and how it responds to different touch. You know, do, do I enjoy a really slow, firm, heavy hand moving down my body? Or do I like a really light feathery touch? And you and I are sitting here doing this across what's accessible, right? We're like on our arms, we're on our chest, but bring that down to your genitals. And it's the same thing. Do, do I like moving in an upward direction or do I like going downward? Like we, we're constantly doing little experiments and compare and contrasts in this work. So whether you're doing that alone with a partner or with a practitioner, it's like, do I like this or do I like that? It's kind of what just came into my mind is like, when you go to the eye doctor and they're flipping the little things in your eyes and like, is this prescription better? Or is this prescription better? <laughs> it's kind of like that with your body, like with your whole body and your genitals, perhaps in particular, like, do I like it? If I go a little harder, a little softer, a little more to the left, a little more to the right. And, and we're constantly living into the question of how could this feel better? Mm. Because that unto itself is such a powerful invitation and permission giver. Like, wow, I get to feel even better. Someone else wants to know what would make me feel even better. I want to know what would make me feel even better. And better is a very vague and general word, just like pleasure is, you know, my, my pleasure and your pleasure may not be the exact same thing. And my measure of better and your measure of better would be different because we're two different bodies. And so we all get to be in these inquiries for ourselves and with our partners and whether or not you're working with a practitioner, that's something that all of us can do. Yeah. It's, it's a vast and fun field to explore within. It's, it's just wild because, you know, to have that context of like, does a feel better or B like, honestly, Mm -hmm. this is something that I've just learned from the show. Like I never thought about asking myself these questions. Well, and that, that's another point is like, we don't know what we don't know. And so what I actually end up spending a lot of time on with my clients and my students is expanding the menu of what's possible. Mm -hmm. And so that is another reason why people come to me. And I hear this most often, I hear this a lot of times from women, regardless of the gender of their partners say, well, I know my partner wants to please me, but I really don't know how to tell them what I want. Right. Because we, we actually have a very narrow scope of possibility or rather not that it's a scope of possibility. We we are, are the blinders are on for most of us in terms of what we believe is possible. When we take those blinders off, it's vast. There is so much that we can explore and so many different ways to innovate and be creative with our bodies, whether it's solo contact or, or with another person. And so that's part of what I'm doing with people is opening up the menu of possibilities yeah. so much wider because it's permission to play and it's permission to experiment and to be creative and curious. And I can't emphasize that last one enough mm. curiosity. Yeah. We, we, we tend to have the same sex over and over and over again, and then wonder why it is that we're not satisfied and being curious enough to experiment with things that, that might light you up. That could be really surprising. That is the secret sauce right there. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about, for example, 
how do you set a context for the partner of the person, right? So say somebody's coming to you because they have pain or they have trauma, you know, they need to clear a blockage. It's funny because in the wake of the show on Netflix, I've had friends say to me, you know, I just, I don't know how to have this conversation. Like I, I don't want to hurt his feelings. Like it's not that it's been bad. I just, but how, how do I bring this up? You know, so what, what would be your advice for those people in terms of the partner? Yeah. Well, first, I just want to validate your friend's experience because that's millions of people out there. Millions. We, we feel this nervousness around giving someone feedback because we're afraid that they are going to be offended by it, that it's going to come across as an insult. And what I want to invite is let's just hold open the possibility that our partners might be freaking delighted to have a little more guidance. <laughs> And, and, and they might be thrilled to hear us come forward and be a little more directive. So, so just like, let's hold that open as a possibility, yeah. but then there's also skilled communication that, that we can learn. This is a learned skill. You don't have to beat yourself up if you don't already know it. it it's we We don't have this modeled often. We can give feedback in a way that is self-responsible. And in a way that fosters intimacy rather than degrades the connection by coming from a place of like, hey, babe, you know, there's something I want to share with you. It feels a little bit vulnerable for me to say and front load it. You want to front load it. None of this is a negative about you. It's more that I'm learning for myself. Hmm. There's probably a lot of potential in my body that I haven't tapped into. I'm wondering if you, you know, like, I'm wondering if you'd be open to doing some like fun, sexy experiments together where I can, I can tell you a few things that I'd like, and maybe you can tell me a few things that you'd like. And then when we're done having these exchanges, we can talk about what worked and what didn't. Yeah. You know, like inviting people into the experience, being self-responsible leading with our vulnerability because it is a vulnerable thing. Like these are all communication skills that many of us did not have the benefit of learning in our families of origin, or even as we've come up in our social and professional circles and wherever else we move. So this is a lot of what I do with my clients is teach them how to have these conversations in ways that, like I said, are, are inviting a greater depth of intimacy instead of being that, that like corrosive friction that we fear it will be and give our partners credit. You know, if, if you are choosing to be with someone and you, you like, and love them enough to make that choice to consistently keep choosing, like let's give them the benefit of the doubt that, that they would want to learn about what pleases you. So in the show, when you get Camille on the table, I think what she does this so brave. I mean, both of them, both Chandra and Camille, like I couldn't believe that they were on camera having, having <laughs> you touching their genitals and yeah, that happened. <laughs> and taking them. My first question is how do you create a feeling in the room where somebody can be their most excruciatingly exposed and vulnerable because for me, for example, like I love the idea of coming to you for a session. I am so petrified. Like I am waiting for you. I'm waiting I know. For you. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm here for you. Glenn. It's going to happen. It's gonna happen. 
But oh, holy <laughs> shit, that is so terrifying. It is. I, I mean, so there's two layers I'm going to answer. And this is going to be one of these moments, another lesson I want to teach. Like we get to celebrate how amazing we are. This is one of my superpowers. This is why I do the work that I do. Like I love my people and I create a space that feels really self safe and welcoming for them. And that too is a skill as much as it's a gift. It's a very strong foundation in consent. And consent is more than what we hear popularized of like no means no, which is valuable, but that's, it's oversimplifying something that has a lot more detail. So it's really empowering my clients and my students to feel 110% safe to have their experience, no questions asked, to know that they're not going to be met with any kind of judgment or shame. Also, what's so powerful about doing this kind of work in a practitioner-client relationship, and this is what's different than when we experiment with lovers or partners, I'm not looking for any in-kind reciprocity from them. And that is not something most of us get the benefit of when we're exploring with a partner, we're worried about their experience and or we are carrying with us a sense of, oh, now I owe you something. And there's none of that going on. I'm being fully responsible for myself and my clients know that so that they don't have to worry about taking care of me on any level. And for some people, this is, this is a very easy thing to do. They can arrive, drop in and in a session or two later, like they're totally feeling open and available. And for some of my clients, we work up to this. It's an iterative journey and particularly people who have significant trauma in their history, it might take a lot more to get to that point. But once we're there, whether it's quick or slow to arriving, what they know to be true is that at any moment in time, they say the word pause, I stop moving. They say the word stop. I take my hands off their body. I never leave them. I never question them. They don't need to justify the why. And so these are all things that we didn't get to see, you know, shown in the final episode, but Camille and Chandra had all of that foundation building Mm -hmm. leading up to these gorgeous scenes that we got to see where they, you know, if, if the peak moments are Chandra receiving penetration and Camille having that gorgeous rippling orgasm, yeah, that did happen. And there were a lot of steps to getting there. Right. And then are you going back to your KPIs? Like, so (laughs) I shouldn't have used that word, but so your, your objectives are, are you trying to get someone to orgasm? Are you releasing fascia? Are you coming up against like where they might be bracing or feel numb? Like, can you take me through what you're doing, what your objectives are? Yeah. Well, it's very different for each body. So Chandra and Camille, two totally different things. If I had an objective and, and I like that word better than goal because there's never a goal. It's not goal oriented. And particularly when it comes to many people reach out to me saying, I don't know how to have an orgasm. And I want everybody to have all the orgasms. Like I'm all for it. Orgasms are fantastic. But the moment we start orienting to that as the only KPI, key performance indicator for those who don't know the term, like if if that's the only thing that you are going to be satisfied by and you're fixated on that, you are setting yourself up for a world of trouble. It's pressure, it's stress. So what I'm actually tracking for is 
just how relaxed and present someone can be both in both in body and in in energy Mm -hmm. and for chandra it was can you stay in your body while we come closer and closer and closer and oh my goodness i'm inside of you right now and does this hurt and she says no and she's still present that was what i was hoping for and and we did get there with camille i mean particularly given the container, I got to say, I was as surprised as anybody <laughs> that she let herself go there with Kat. I mean, as, and our, and the crew is amazing. I have been shouting out the crew all over the place, like just how fantastic of a job they did of our rad all girl crew. Oh, amazing. And they were ghosts in those moments in the most complimentary way. Like they, they, they understood the the sanctity of the container that we were in, but even still, like there was no expectation that that would happen for Camille. And so what I was doing and what I do in any session is I'm really tracking. I'm looking at her facial expressions. I'm listening to her breath. I'm watching her body to see if she's bracing, if she's moving, if certainly if she's giving me words, like at one point, she, you know, like I, I think I asked a question of like, you know, a more or less type of question. Do you want more of this, less of that? She's like more like, okay, so I'm going to follow her instructions and just stay with her as she goes wherever that terrain goes. And that's not totally fucking weird for you that for like <laughs> her girlfriend is there and you're giving someone an orgasm and no, <laughs> it's so, it's so you blow my mind. <laughs> I know the the funniest conversation in my personal life about this was from my brother. Who's like, you, (laughs) you, you like, he watched this. Who's like my biggest cheerleader. And I love my, my little baby brother. Who's not a little baby anymore. And he's just like, you just, you gave her an orgasm on camera. He's like, he's trying to make sense. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, but for me, when, when I'm in that seat, my channel is open through and through to be a conduit for whatever the healing and the wholeness work is that, that whomever my hands are on and with is needing to receive. Yeah. Like, do I feel the energy? Absolutely. I'm a hardcore empath. <laughs> like, I feel everything that's happening, but it's not like I'm in it with my own sense of turn on. I'm, I'm there to hold the container that, that they're moving around inside of. So yeah, we don't really have a context for this and I get why it would seem really strange and it's, it's less strange than you think. I think if you were to ask any massage therapist or body worker, you know, someone who's looking at and dealing with bodies on a regular basis, it's like at a certain point, it's, it's a body, which yeah. deep, it gets depersonalized to an extent. Like I'm very aware of whose body I'm with. But it's also not like I'm like, ooh, you know, objectifying their body. I, I'm there in service to their body. <laughs> but it is incredibly complex because I think mm-hmm. for, well, I'll speak for myself. For me, a sexual experience has always been linked to an emotional experience, mm-hmm. right? What, either good or bad. But I'm, for me, like I've never been someone who's like had one night stands. I've always had like serial monogamous relationships or some mm-hmm. I thought were monogamous and they were monogamous on uh, my side. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, those were fun days in my twenties. But for me, there was always like a wish that, oh, this is the person of my life and right. I'm, I'm safe here. And so it's really hard for me to decouple. Like if I think about coming to, to do this work, which I want to do. How do you decouple 
the, that sexual feeling from the emotional feeling. You don't, <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of it. You don't. But then am I falling to. in love with you? Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, there's space for working with what in a more technical term is transference. And what I think would surprise you is it's some of my clients fall in love with me. It's true, but in a very sweet way. And, and we talk about it and I'm there to help them really take their power back in that exchange. Because of course it would be really easy anytime someone is facilitating an experience for us, whether they're a professional or whether it's in our personal life. It's like, this is why we get so hooked when we have great sexual chemistry with someone, even if they're not a great fit for us in other ways, because we attach the meaning to them. We say, oh, this person gave me that orgasm. This person, you know, fucked me really, really well, whatever the thing is. And we associate all the goodness of that with them as opposed to recognizing that we are the generative source of our experience and our bodies and hearts are the ones who are opening up in those beautiful ways. And so if that kind of thing comes up with my clients, I just get to help them learn how to sit in their own power around that and also be really sensitive and tender because attachment does form and this is very intimate work. And so it's not an unnatural thing to have that come up. And so we don't need to shame that or make it wrong or bad. Right. We just meet it with love. <laughs> right. Oh, that's so beautiful. I just want to touch on something that you said a minute, a moment ago, which was that we are not acknowledging that it's we're generating the sexual yeah. connection from our side, which I don't think we're taught to do. And therefore we're also not generating the accountability from our side that when we're not getting the sex that we want or when something, right. It's like, there's this feeling of other, you know, you're mm -hmm. outsourcing your pleasure, your satisfaction yeah. to somebody else. Yeah. yeah. You're naming something very important. I mean, and this is, it, there are ways in which certain things can be more gendered than others. And this is true for a lot of women, but it's not exclusive. Mm. You know, this is mm. as, as true for non-binary folks and men <laughs> um, that we, yeah, we'll sit there and be like, oh, well, they're not a great lover or, oh, they don't know how to really please me in the ways that I want. And so it is a very salient and essential question to ask, like, how much do you know about your own pleasure how much are you taking ownership and, and really being accountable to yourself first and foremost to know about your body in these intimate ways so that you can then give guidance, make requests, be an active co-creator of a learning experience together. And many of us are not doing that because the, the fairy tale that's been bought and sold a bajillion times over is we meet the one and they know how to do all the right things and we live happily ever after. And as two women who've been divorced, I think we, had, we probably know that that's not the way it goes. No, it's not so, <laughs> and, and I mean, our partners can be wonderful in a million ways. And, and that is very often the situation I find with couples. Like I seldom am working with couples who are on the brink of ending it. I'm working with couples who are saying, we've got a great friendship. We love each other. We co-parent well, we have fun together and our sex life is struggling. 
Right. You know, so you know, there, there's a lot of opportunity to really dig into, well, why is that? And it's never just about the other person ever. I don't use definitive words often. It is never just the other person. Right. right. <laughs> and so I guess this is a good time to ask you about trauma mm-hmm. and how it's expressed. I think you said in the show at some point that, you know, these things show up in the tissue. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, so oftentimes when, when we have a trauma imprinted in our body, so, so what I mean when I say that is you and I can both have the same experience and it might land as traumatic for me and not traumatic for you. So, so this has everything to do with the particular individual and so many of the specifics of the context. It's not just that unto themselves, certain experiences are traumatic and others are not. So I want to start by saying that. And then what happens is, and, and a, great, a great metaphor to invite in here is, I'm out with my dog walking her the other day and she comes across, you know, a a more aggressive dog. She sniffs this out immediately. She gets all blustery. She starts barking. You know, we, we keep walking down the street and then what does she do? She stops and she shakes it off and she goes about her day. Mm -hmm. So she was not traumatized by that barking dog. However, I might have been, you know, right. like, and, and, and so, or, what or to- maybe she was, but she knew to release her nervous system. Exactly. Right. Her, right. Animal bodies. No. And where humans in particular get, get into troubled water is, is that we are so distanced from that kind of intuitive wisdom in our bodies, the conditioning that we are steeped in culturally in terms of our dominant culture has done an an amazing job. If that was the goal to sever us from our bodies, they've done it. They've done it. And and we're not tuned into the ways to resource. So to your question of like, what do I mean when I say like it lives in our tissues, it lives in our cell. It's as if the moment of that trauma gets embedded, stamped, tattooed into our tissues. Mm -hmm. And so our bodies are constantly hijacked by whatever that stimulus was or something that is very similar to it. Sometimes it can also be very out of left field. What what will somewhere in our psyche and our soma link up a traumatic experience with the present moment experience? And this is why we might have big reactions in moments that can feel very inopportune and and surprising Mm. because our body, it feels that it is under threat and it's responding accordingly. And the responses then are really reactions, which are fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And, and those are the four different ways that we react to trauma. What is the fourth one? Fawn, which is another word for appeasing. And this we see a lot of happening in relationships where rather than being honest and advocating for what we need, we we go ahead and just say, oh, okay, well, if that's what you want, oh, I'm I'm fine. Really, I'm fine. When in actuality, someplace inside of us is, is shaking uncontrollably or on the verge of tears. And so working with the body is all about working these patterns while at the same time bringing resource in creating physical lived experiences of safety where there was unsafety the ability to you know for instance some of the work that we do might be to complete an experience that did not get completed so let's say you were attacked 
and did not have the ability to defend yourself, physically speaking, a way that we might work with trauma in a therapeutic setting here then is for you to figure out like, what is the actual expression that you want to bring through your body? Do you want to shove? Do you want to get loud? Like, what are the things you didn't get to do then that will let you move beyond that state of, of, of being frozen in time, so to speak? And, and so there's these more outward expressions that I'm speaking of. And then there is a subtle, but very powerful way that this happens through the body work in that we, we will land on a space in someone's body. And very oftentimes this is genitals, but not always. Like, you know, sometimes it's the throat. Sometimes it's somewhere else where as I'm laying hands on someone, we, we feel that there is a blockage here or a potency of energy here that wants to be worked through. And so very often through the touch that I can offer, what ends up happening is somebody releases in, and that we did not see depicted in, in any of the examples here because neither Camille nor Chandra had something up in that vein, but people cry a lot on my table and, yeah, and, and move a lot of energy through. And it's not even always, it's, it's not a bad thing. You know, very often there's a sense of catharsis there and liberation of an energy that has been bound up and really creates a bottleneck in our systems. So, yeah, so that's a part of the work as well for those who need it. So you help people go through that release. And then is there sort of a natural recontextualizing that happens because, you know, it's now an adult on the table with you who's bringing Mm -hmm. awareness? Yeah. I mean, there's, there is, that's a great word, a recontextualizing it's, it's, it's a restoring in a way, like both in the ter- in the root of that, that is restore and then to create a new story. <laughs> like both of those things are happening where we get to look at who we were, where we were in, if it was a trauma that is linked to a particular moment, which I want to say not all trauma is, and many people are coming in more with with continued patterns of neglect, misattunement, ways in which they did not get to be their authentically expressed selves. They weren't parented in the way they needed to be parented. You know, many of us are carrying that kind of trauma in that isn't always someone attacked me. It's, it's my mom did not know how to hold my feelings. It's, I wasn't given space to move my body. You know, there are many different ways. And that that can show up in a sexual dysfunction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And do people usually have an idea what the source injury is, or sometimes is it a complete surprise or not at all what they thought? Both of those things are true. Some people very intimately know what their trauma is, what their history is, and can really give you a a clear indexed storytelling of all the ways that things link up. And other people are quite surprised and it's very nebulous. It might be repressed. And like I said, because it doesn't always result from a single lived experience, this is where the ongoing work that I do with people can often surface things over time. And even with that said, it doesn't mean that, oh, I have, I flash back and I'm four years old and I see myself being molested. It's not like that all the time. It's usually more a sense of like, I don't totally know what that was, but I feel lighter. I feel more present in my body. And and so we, you know, whatever way you're coming at this, there is potential, there's possibility, there's hope for, for moving through these patterns. And is it an oversimplification to say that on some level, it's always 
shame that we've internalized? Like, is it our mother didn't, you know, what did you just say? Our mother didn't know how to hold our feelings. So therefore I had shame around having feelings and therefore Mm -hmm. that shame is now in my body. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think that's inaccurate. I don't think that's the only thing that happens. So, so it does not always have to be something that resulted in an experience of shame and shame is a really debilitating experience to have because, and this is like me totally channeling Brene Brown in here for a moment. Um, like, yeah, yeah like we could all use some Brene in our lives constantly, <laughs> um, but you know, she, she speaks about, and this is a paraphrasing that, that when we are in an experience of shame, the internal dialogue and the messaging is that I am bad versus guilt, for instance, where we say, oh, that was bad. So, so shame is very personal. We make ourselves wrong and bad. And so what the example that you just gave, that is traumatic in its way. Like if we carry a burden with us for years upon years upon years of our lived experience saying, I'm, I'm bad in some way, I'm wrong in some way, I'm unlovable, unworthy, fill in the blank here because of this, then yeah, that, that is going to do a thing to us. It's going to malform some parts of our being and it needs to be met with a tremendous amount of compassion and loving presence and to have a new narrative introduced, uh, a more accurate one that, that lets us organize around, well, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not so bad here. <laughs> like, maybe there isn't actually something wrong with me. And, and that's where the aperture begins to widen and the liberation is possible. So as somebody who is helping people kind of go back through the story of their lives and unpack some of this stuff and all of the the blockages that are really hurtful to them and, you know, keeping them from experiencing their fullest potential from your perspective, like as a healer and a teacher, what can those of us who are parents be doing to not giving our children these experiences, negative experiences of themselves? Mm, I love that question because it comes up a lot, particularly with my clients who are parents that invariably the work we are doing changes their parenting because of that exact desire that you just gave a voice to. Like, how do we not screw our kids up in the ways that we were screwed up? And and really, I, I, I think if I try to distill this down to something succinct, what it comes down to is making space for their experience to be valid. You don't have to agree. You don't even have to fully understand it. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to full out join them in it, but giving them a, a safe enough container where they know they get to be who they are and they get to be loved is what it boils down to. And, you know, so when we don't have that experience, when we are getting messages, sometimes very subtle, sometimes very obvious and loud that who we are is not okay. That's where these, the, these core wounds of unlovability and unworthiness get, get seated. And so for somebody, for your parents in particular, who particularly with young children, it's like parents, the center of your universe, right? everything you're learning about yourself, you're learning in relationship to them. And so for them to love you for being who you are, like that's the medicine right there. And that's a tall order because many of us were not loved for being who we are. So, so we're then being asked to do something that we did not 
get to experience that we were not the recipients of. So this is, it's one of these instances where what I'm offering when I say like, love your kids as they are, it's simple enough and it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. Projection is, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. My last question then before I'm okay. out of time. <laughs> so when you did your Instagram live with Chandra and Camille the other day, how are they? Tell us a little bit about how they're doing. Have they continued with the work? Like give me the download. Yeah. They are well, they are well, and they are wonderful and they are as sweet as they've ever been. And I <laughs> adore those women and both of them, you know, what, what seems to be one of the through lines is that they're really both far more attuned within themselves and to one another for making space to like, Hey, are you really okay with that? Does that really feel good? I think what would feel better to me is so a lot more permission is, has been brought into their relationship to honor their experiences and to then bring some curiosity. If like something's not going great, like, well, and they said this too, in the, in the IG live, it was adorable. They're like, we have many moments where like, well, Darshana said, and I'm like, great. I'm like, I'm just saying, if there's going to be a place where my voice is showing up, let it be in those moments. Like to, to just bring that, that permission into the relationship. And the one thing they did say that I love, and I think this is like, I said it already earlier they go slower than they ever did. Mm. They don't do like sex is no longer quickies. Sex is an experience and they take their time and they recognize that for it to truly be satisfying, they need to create that kind of space to get into all the different layers and textures that they want to be feeling and slowing it down is where it's at. That's where our trauma gets unwound. And that's where our ecstasy gets lit up. And there's nothing against a well-timed quickie, not knocking it. But if it's like only eating vanilla ice cream when you've got, you know, your 31 bajillion flavors, right? So, so slow lets you have all the other flavors. Yeah, for sure. And do they, do you think they've had a good experience being on the show? Not only in their work with you, which I know, but in, in yeah. the, are no, they, they've been so great about it. And in particular, Chandra has had because, you know, she was raised as a Jehovah's witness. And she said, she's had a lot of people reach out to her who have similar upbringings. And the piece about growing up with a particular religious conservatism has really resonated for a lot of people. And she's, she gets to sit out there as a poster child, if you will. And it's been a real permission giver for others who see themselves reflected and also too, you know, that it's a brave thing as a young lesbian couple to be seen. I, it, it sends, I've had a lot of women reach out to me and I imagine they have two who are lesbians at even older and later stages of life saying, my wife and I just watched this and are in tears, or I wish I had this 50 years ago. And so there's also something really poignant about, you know, the intersections of their identities in particular and how that is lighting up things for people. So yeah, they're, they're doing great. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for who you are and mm. your work and for, saying yes to doing the show and showing up in the way you did. And you are helping so many people. And I just, I applaud you. Mm. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for saying <laughs> yes. And I'm just so deeply appreciative. I, I receive it. You are very welcome. And it's mutual because this is not a small thing to have chosen to make this show. And so thank you. Okay. Next time I'm getting my vulva out. 
Thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Darshana Avila. Sex, Love and Goop is out now on Netflix. I hope you get a chance to see Darshana in it. And if you're looking for more relationship and intimacy tools, head to goop.com backslash podcast sex. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.